Welcome to Marketing Talks, a podcast that unpacks the careers of marketing leaders by providing insight on how they are growing the brands and organizations they are a part of. Learn practical tips and strategies on how you can grow within marketing while avoiding mistakes along the way. Hey everybody, my name is Jonathan Kaur and in today's Marketing Talk, I'm going to be talking to the CRO and co-founder of an IoT startup company called Tulu Systems. My my guest, Brett Espinosa, uh, has a background in marketing and also in the music industry. And actually, there's a quick funny fact I want to share with you guys. Uh, my The band that I'm currently a part of right now, we were actually asked to uh, have our first show on the bill of Brits band uh, becoming Bristol. So uh, that's a super interesting talking point from there. But thanks for hopping on this call, Brit. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So l- let's just kick this off real quick. I, I think there's no better way to um, intro somebody than to also just have them speak about you know who they are, what you do, and then also... I, I know you have a startup, uh, in, uh, more of your target audience or customers that you're serving on a consistent basis. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I'm 26, uh, live in the Seattle area. Um, yeah, my background, like, so when I was about 14, I started playing music, playing shows and stuff in a rock and roll band, uh, with my brother. And then, um, kind of over the next 10 years, till I was about 24, you know, we, toured a lot. We got signed. We had uh, some singles on the radio, which was really cool. Um, but during that whole period, like I did a lot of all, all the business side stuff. So I did a lot of the radio sales. I did, I booked all the shows, um, and all that. So I kind of found a passion for business that was really cool and marketing and, you know, how do I sell like a release and how do I make sure that I'm finding the right audience for all this stuff. And, um, so that kind of translated when I, when I met my wife, I was like, okay, I don't necessarily want to be on the road, you know, three months at a time anymore. That doesn't sound awesome. So, uh, I started looking for a job that could like both, you know, pay me a living wage while I'm, you know, uh, being able to work, but also still able to tour. And so I found a mechanical company, uh, which is kind of weird, like kind of out of the ordinary. I'd interviewed a bunch of software companies and um, I thought I was going to go into that space because that's what's really cool. And I, I pulled up to this rinky dink uh, mechanical shop in downtown Renton and uh, I was like, oh, there's no way I'm ever going to work here. Uh, and so I walked in and the, the guy that I met, his name's Ron, and he was the VP of sales for the company and uh, very, very interesting guy, weirdest interview I've ever done. And uh, he, he had some really cool thoughts about data and how it was going to affect the industry. And um, he basically was always like, hey, as long as you know, the numbers are being hit, you can build out this whole sales process and marketing, inbound marketing funnel. And as long as numbers are being hit, you can go be, do whatever you want, you know, go to or play music and all that. Like, that sounds awesome to me. Um, so yeah, I jumped. Uh, and went for that opportunity. And uh, then about a year and a half later, so kind of background on mechanical systems. So mechanical systems are anything that heats or cools or treats or filters air and moves it around a building. Uh, so it's very invisible. Not a lot of people see it, but it's very, very expensive, very, very important for any office building. Um, every year, commercial building owners spend somewhere between 400 to $600 billion on maintaining these systems. So it's very, it's a lot. It's been a lot of money. Um, the majority of that time, so the company I was working for, uh, the mechanical company, they're made up of the technicians that go out and they work on all this equipment all the time um, and maintain it. Uh, but it's obviously, it's a very inefficient way if you have a human going around and opening up machines and diagnosing stuff and they're paid $155 an hour, you know, like it's really, really expensive. And so uh, Ron and I started talking about stuff and we're like, okay, there might be a better way to do this. Uh, so we thought, okay, what if we could monitor everything in a piece of equipment 24-7? Like we'd basically cut off, you know, $300 billion worth of expenses 
that building owners have every year. Um, and so that's how we kind of got into the industry we're in. Um, and the people that we serve are uh, like building owners and managers and operators. So uh, yeah, kind of a difficult segment because they're, I kind of like preferred to my current, my, my, my ideal prospect is like Dwight Schrute from the office. Like they've got like a cell phone on their belt buckle and they really don't really check email or anything like that. So traditional like strategies that you would be able to see on like HubSpot's blog or something like that don't work. So you have to be a little bit inventive. Um, but yeah, so commercial real estate industry is what we're, we're in. That's awesome. So, wow, that's, uh, and I'm glad you actually like broke down what HVAC and, you know, mechanical is because I, I, I've, you know, even before I was in the construction industry for a period of time, I didn't even know what that was. So I'm glad you did that. Um, from an actual, uh, so, so, so you're a co-founder right now for this IOT company. Talk about the, the other co-founder, how did you guys like, is it, is it this Ron guy or is it somebody yeah, else? That yeah, you're yeah, so Ron, Ron is Ron, Ron's got a background in mechanical engineering. He's got a master's in it. Uh, so he knows how like the systems work and all that stuff. Um, and then we found a guy named Sam who uh, Ron saw him post on a, on a website called hackster.io and it's hackster.io is kind of like Pinterest, but for like really nerdy people. So like these like engineers will post these projects that they work on and they'll put the instruction sheet on how to do them and stuff. And you can like pin it and then you can work on it as an engineer and all that stuff. It's pretty cool. Uh, but Ron found him on that. And so us three got together, kind of talked about, okay, how, what does the market look like? What's the opportunity? What does the product actually have to do for it to meet the need that's happening out there? And uh, that was about two years ago. And then uh, a year and a half ago, six months after we first met, we had kind of a working prototype and uh, we've been going from there. So what we build is basically a box. It's called a Tulu pod and it sits on a piece of equipment and then it uses sensors and it gets placed all over the piece of equipment and monitors 24 seven. A lot of other stuff that goes into it, but that's the, the high level amount that people probably only want to know about. So. <laughs> yep. No, it makes sense. And it, it actually makes sense with your logo too. It's an octopus, which I assume has to do with connecting with different pieces of the you know, mechanical system. So, so now right now we're dealing, you know, globally with the pandemic that's been going on. How has that, um, and to give a little bit of context, your startup has been around for a year and a half now ish. That- so we've been working on the product for a year and a half. Yep. We just had like production ready product available start December of 2019. So, so it's, uh, w- within a few, within a matter of months, you know, we get hit with this pandemic. How has that been, um, for you as a, as a co-founder, as a startup founder, and uh, really just navigating with what's going on with the pandemic, especially since you're saying a lot of your customer segments are not a lot more of the inbound methodology that, you know, that they don't even look at email, all these different things. How are you reaching out? Yeah. So uh, kind of what's interesting about COVID-19 is it, you know, I think every business and marketer and salesperson kind of felt this. It's like, everything got put on hold and frozen. So budgets are frozen and decisions are frozen. People are now in a different, totally different headspace, thinking about totally different things, uh, which is really scary, you know, cause you're like, I built all this messaging. I built all this, this pitch and I built this pricing model around a specific, you know, for normal world, not, not for the world that shut down and locked in their homes. Uh, so yeah, that was honestly really freaky, especially when we started to hit our stride. You know, we had a bunch of uh, opportunities lined up and, they all got frozen, like right at right as soon as everything got shut down. I was like, oh, that sucks. Um, but yeah, we quickly pivoted and I started changing my messaging, started thinking about, okay, who, you know, with this lockdown, who still has to remain open? Who still has to have their building opened? Because you still got to have air 
And air is like critical in hospitals, it's critical in elderly care facilities, it's critical in data centers. Uh, and who has an invested interest in not having a human technician crawl over the systems that provide air to all the occupants in the building? So I started thinking about, okay, elderly care facilities, obviously, like you don't, if you're gonna have some technician that you don't really know where they've been, you know, who their family members have been with, you know, crawling all over their facility, that's obviously a, a give. So like, how could we build a model where I pitch to them messaging instead of like, hey, we're gonna cut your cost in half. You know, hey, instead of you having to have a guy come out and, you know, crawl over your equipment, you can hit a button on a computer and everything that they would normally do can be done right from that computer. Um, and that messaging really hit a nerve. And so we actually had our best month as a business in April. I mean, we've only been like selling for six months, but April was our best month. So at the peak of coronavirus, and then it uh, looks like May this month is going to be double that. So it's, uh, I think we, I nailed the messaging, which I'm really excited about. And, um, you know, messaging is really difficult, obviously, to, to find. But um, and that's kind of the big opportunity too, right, in this is because everyone's in the same headspace. So. So, so before we start tackling more of the marketing side and, and the way you're looking at that as well, some of your background, um, on your LinkedIn, you message, you, 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 the way you messaged it on your LinkedIn profile is you're disrupting a $500, $600 million industry. Um, how, have you heard any feedback from any mechanical companies or anybody who, you know, you're potentially directly competing with in this industry now? That's a really great question. And that kind of ties together. So, um, with, with the marketing and product market fit. So um, initially we were really worried about that because it's like, okay, the unions are gonna hear about this and they're gonna, they're gonna try and figure out how to like you know, push us out of business and everything because we essentially cut labor hours because we're automating you know, 70% of the work that these guys are doing. Uh, but here's the thing, uh, when I was working at the mechanical company, because there's so little skilled labor out there in the market for HVAC, uh, and, you know, uh, technicians would have to wait six months to take a vacation. They have to request it six months in advance, you know, so they're overloaded, they're overworked. Some of them are working, you know, 50, 60 hours a week, which is a lot when you're working manual labor stuff and crawling around in a unit and all that stuff. So um, there, there's a really gigantic need because there was lack of supply of labor. There are some mechanicals that are kind of adverse to it. Uh, but one of the models that we pivoted towards was, okay, we got feedback from a mechanical that heard about us and they're like, Hey, we well, actually want to see how this works. We see that this is where the future is going. If we don't move to adopt it. We're going to be left behind. Um, and so we've, we've set up some strategic partnerships where these mechanical companies are now using our system to become more efficient at what they do. And we're able to offer a product that is bundled with them. So it's kind of like previously it would be okay. Hey, install our system on your building. Now you have to go to your mechanical vendor and say, Hey, Oh, I'm cutting your hours 70%, but I want you to do just this and this and this. And that's kind of adversarial sets up the building or the mechanical be adversarial. Uh, what we've done though is now we've said, hey, mechanical partner, um, they're up in Muckleteo, really cool company called University of Mechanical Contractors. Uh, we said, hey, like they, they're working with us. They've built out a whole new business model within their company to fulfill our product, the, 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 the enhancements that our product can offer them. So now they have people at their site that are doing remote diagnostics and they're able to offer basically better visibility on equipment and better coverage at way better prices than our competition. Uh, so everyone wins, everyone's happy. Technicians can take the time off that they want. The business is making better margins and the customer has better coverage and visibility is paying less for it. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how we've solved that. And I was really surprised honestly that these mechanical people would, would be interested in it, but they were, so. And that's, I, I think that's key now. I think that's probably the smartest 
thing you could do is see because I, I think sometimes people are afraid of you know like oh well like the people that we have you know potentially not offer, offering enough hours you know from uh, from the perspective of a a company you know hiring people to come and do these types of services so it, it makes sense you know understanding the reality that a lot of industries are going to be disrupted especially now with COVID I think it accelerated what should have taken three, five, 10 years and, you know, did it within the span of 30, you know, to 60 days. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so now going more into like a marketing uh, aspect, how are you looking at marketing uh, within your company? Like, is it, it, is it, is it as top of mind as it used to be when you were at the mechanical company? I, I know as a CRO, you have a lot of other things you have to keep in mind, but how are you viewing that within your role right now? Yeah. So so marketing for us right now, we kind of view it in stages. Um, so this kind of mindset mindset shift from, okay, we're, it's really hard for building owner to, because mechanical systems have been maintained and managed this, the way that they have been for 120 years, you know, ever since Carrier invented them in the 1890s. Uh, so we have, we have, the biggest challenge we have right now is like, okay, how do we get people starting to think differently about how you actually do this stuff? And you know, and not only think differently, but also envisioning the path forward, it could be better than what I am right now. And so, um, so a lot of that goes into like product market fit and like, that's like why startups and companies succeed or fails. Like if you actually nail product market fit and, um, so it's not just like messaging and inbound campaigns and, you know, blog posts and stuff. It's also like, okay, how do I help my product people that are my engineers understand the actual qualifications and the, the value propositions that we're offering to the market and what's resonating and how do we get the feedback loop between us so that we're, you know, building something that is truly valuable to the customer. Um, but in, so in terms of marketing, like the biggest thing, like in terms of traditional sense, like it's mindset shift right now for us. So, you know, we've got sales, which is like, like I was saying, it's like the best, the most direct way to get a sale is for us to call the person because they've got the cell phone on the belt and they can pull it up and, and, and talk about it. But how do I start now changing people's perceptions and the industry accepted, you know, mindset and shifting that just a little bit. Um, so we do a lot of trade shows because a lot of these guys show up at trade shows. Um, you know, they, they show up, they like to touch, they're, they're very physical people. So they like to touch the actual product that's there see how it works. They visualize like, okay, I've got sensors that now hook on to each different thing. Oh, I get it. Like that's a person inside a piece of equipment. Um, I've been starting to write some blogs on, uh, Cause a lot of, there's a, now a lot of these facility managers are working from home and they have to use computers, which is kind of cool. Um, and not that they didn't use computers before, but they're, they're pushed online. So there's a lot more traffic on LinkedIn. Um, so I'm starting to write articles about, okay, how does, how do you manage your facility remote now? And here's, you know, a list of, you know, it's the classic, like here's a list of six different ways and different problems you can solve, you know, in this time because it's shifting, right? Like, and that's, what's really cool about this opportunity is, everyone's now in a different headspace where they're thinking, okay, it might not never go back to normal. Uh, how do I adapt and uh, become part of this new, you know, this new economy and new market where people work from home, but there are still facilities and that need to be taken care of and all that. So yeah, that's, that's the gist of it. Um, you know, we do a lot of like uh, explainer videos that we try and break down. You know, if I figure I've, I've learned that if I can write out something and explain it in about a minute, a minute and a half, that now I've, I fully understood the concept of it. So if I can explain it to someone that long and they can understand it, then we're good. Um, that's the gist of what we're using for marketing. Uh, 
I really love all of the cool stuff like lead scoring. And uh, I did a little bit of that with Pardot and everything when I was at the, the mechanical company, but it just didn't have a good enough return with these people because they're just not, they're not online. It's not like selling marketing to a salesperson, right? Like if you work at HubSpot or if you work at, you know, like outreach or something like that. And you know, you've got these people that are online all the time and you can kind of track and put a data point on them anywhere that they are and you know, message to them and craft it and measure it. It's great. But if you don't have even a single tag on someone uh, and it's really hard to even get like 10 tags, uh, it's really difficult. So yeah, as we kind of move people more online, it will be easier. And as we shift that mindset, it will be easier. But a lot of our stuff is like, like really old school, like print ads, trade shows, you know, blog posts, all that stuff. Yeah, it's super interesting. And I, it's honestly something I saw in commercial construction in general is, you know, there's an aging workforce, a lot of the leadership right now, I, I, there's one company in particular, I see like, probably like it was for like a month or so I saw different superintendents and project executive people retire. And so, um, ha- have you, have you taken that into account? Like, you know, especially in the commercial real estate side of, you know, building owners, building managers, like who that potential next person is going to be, that's going to be taking up that, that, um, that mantle. Yeah. So what's, what's kind of cool about how, uh, building management is very, uh, what is it called? It's, uh, like there's a succession plan. <laughs> so like, there, like I, I met with this guy that manages, um, like a, like a 3 million square foot cancer research center. Uh, he's been there for 30 years or whatever. So he's like really ingrained in the facility and everything. And he has a succession plan for how he's going to transition his, cause he's retiring here in the next year, how he's going to transition himself, you know, out and then transition the person underneath him up. And so part of that's like for marketing, it's like, okay, how do we target, you know, these type of people that are transitioning out because we need to start getting in their brains that they are, you know, as they hand this off to the new generation, we need to be part of that handoff. Um, likewise, some of these, these, these older fellows are already thinking like, okay, like IOT, they've done the, they've done research and they've looked up papers and stuff on it. So they're aware of it. They just, uh, they don't have any online presence to tag. So it's, how do I get even in front of them the first point, like with a call or anything like that? Um, and once I get in front of them and we under, they understand it, then it's like, okay, now I've, now I've got them in a funnel and I've got them in, you know, a drip campaign and everything. And when it's time, it, they'll be ready. Um, but yeah, a lot of it's like succession planning, which is really interesting. Um, and, you know, as the, what's kind of, there's like a sophistication curve with these, uh, with anyone, with any type of new technology. And, you know, as these young people come up, you know, even though they might not understand what IoT is, they understand what Wi-Fi is, or they understand what like a mesh network is, or they understand what an algorithm or data center is. And so then it's a lot less to explain and you can kind of start basing your messaging with the assumption that they already know the power of what a cloud is. You know, right now, a lot of my time is spent explaining and trying to get people to understand, well, a cloud, like we can run a million different simulations of how a piece of equipment is going to operate in 10 minutes. And like that, that in of itself is not a given for most people in facility management, whereas it would be in for other industries and stuff. So, so I have a quick uh, question. Is it just you and your co-founder right now in your company or do you, have you guys started to build out a team? Yeah, we've got, uh, so, I mean, in terms of like sales and marketing, it's just me and Ron are on the sales and marketing team. We've got four other guys that are on the software engineering and hardware side, product development. Okay. So uh, I have a little bit more of a pointed question towards marketing. So let's, let's assume there's a marketer out there that's interested in start, you know, the startup, uh, startup, you know, 
uh, industry or field, um, what are some characteristics you think, like not necessarily for a marketer in general, but just like what type of personality type or characteristic does a person have to have in order to uh, adapt, adjust to a constantly changing um, company, especially, you know, within its first five years at, at, you know, like the one you're doing right now, what are some of those things that you've learned? So at least a year and a half in that are crucial because sometimes people think they like, uh, they like the idea of getting in a startup or that, you know, uh, hustlers mentality, but sometimes some people do better in a, you know, more established corporation that's been around 10, 20, 30 years. Yep. Uh, yeah, I think there's a few things, but, uh, there's, there's a, uh, there's a book called extreme ownership and it's, it's also that premise of extreme ownership. So, you know, when you're in a startup, every, you are the business owner and you are, you know, for me, like I'm, I do all the revenue, you know, all the revenue activities like sales and marketing and all that, but I'm also accounting and I'm also, you know, all of our ERP software and all that stuff. So whether you succeed or fail is totally hundred percent on you. So if you don't like, if you don't own that, if you don't have extreme ownership over the outcome of how your business is going to happen, like you will fail because you're going to be looking for someone else to blame or looking for something else to blame. And yeah, you'll never be able to actually focus on the solution. So that's like number one. It's like you got to own the result because if you don't, like you're never going to actually find the solution because you're going to fail. Like I fail so freaking much every single day, like with this and I feel so stupid all the time, but you know, that's all like stepping stones to get to the point where you're like, okay, I've, I've you know, I made our, my first sale, like, holy cow, like I sold $300 worth of HVAC stuff. Like, I feel amazing. You know, <laughs> it's like, okay, that's great. But it takes all these failures to get to just that little, little step. Um, and I think next to that too, it's like, not, don't be afraid to like, uh, blow everything up that you've done because <laughs> you're building something new, right? So you've got to, sometimes you've got to be like, okay, like what I did was wrong. You know, C.S. Lewis talks about how uh, the most progressive person is the person that realizes that they have taken the wrong steps and they make the step turn around. That's the most progressive person. So uh, being able to admit that you've done something wrong or try something new and blow up everything that you've already done is, is an okay thing. Um, yeah, I think those are, and, you know, empathy is really huge because you got to be able to empathize with the customer. And just because you think that a product you're making or a feature set you're making or that you're harping on as a, as a marketer is important, uh, it might not be for the for the actual ideal prospect. And if you are looking at it from one perspective and you haven't like opened up your brain and your peripheral vision, um, you're going to miss it and you're going to miss the messaging and you're going to, you know, spend $5,000 building out all this material and all this videos and all this stuff. And it's actually not going to work. Like it'd be better to go in front of a customer with a little whiteboard, you know, and just draw out what you're going to do or like, what does this say to you, you know, and uh, then for you to, you know, try and build it out before. So. Yeah, those are the three things. So what are going to your customer? What are some of the questions you're asking that are very important to understand what their needs, pain points are? Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> um, there's a few. So Ron, uh, Ron is very, Ron's been doing sales for a very long time, marketing and sales for a long time. And, uh, one of the things that he told me early on at my time at vital was, um, you know, people, people, people get a pat on the back if they save a million dollars for the company and they get fired if they lose $50,000 for their company. So most people are not like as marketers and as salespeople, like it's really easy to start thinking, okay, the messaging needs to be, cause we think very data oriented or a good marketer should like you, you've got your funnel, you put in a thousand people, it kicks out X amount of people at the end. Like it's very logical. And so sometimes we apply that to how we think about um, 
you know, how we message our stuff. And a lot, it's not that way though. Like just because I can save someone a million dollars does not mean that they're going to care. <laughs> like that's crazy. I know, but like they don't care about that. A lot of times, sometimes what they'll care about is like, did my, did I have to wake up at 2am to go fix something in my building? Like that matters more than them saving a million dollars for the company, which is crazy. So the way you get to that, you know, is just, I mean, there's basic like spin questioning and all that stuff, but, um, you just have to listen. That's why I said like empathy is really important and you have to hear, you know, read between the lines of like when they're talking about their day, what do they really kind of settle on and what do they really harp on? And, you know, does he, why does he keep talking about that 2am piece where he had to get up, you know, that compressor broke and he had to get up at 2am to come in and fix it. Like that's, he keeps coming back to the example. What, why is that such a bother to him? Oh, stuff is breaking without him knowing it. And when stuff, when you're not in the know, you're always, you know, running uh, on empty and you're in a crisis mindset. So that's one of our things is like, how do we address it? We address crisis mindset. We can get you out of that. I'm barely keeping up to you're out ahead of the curve and you've got it managed. And that resonates as opposed to, I can save you a million dollars. That's cool. It's cool and simple to say, I can save you a million dollars, but it doesn't touch people on an emotional level. Um, and especially people that are not owners of businesses. I and mean, if you're an owner of a business, I said you can save a million dollars. Of course, you're going to go for that. But uh, if you work for a business, you care more about how do I make my time easier? How do I make myself better at my job so that I look better at what I do? And um, are you a fan of The Office? A huge fan. Big, like that's my number one show. But you, you like, you know, I, I know people don't like Robert California, but dude, he's got, uh, when he interviews, he's got the best like piece of advice you could ever give to a marketer. It's like, whether you're selling oil equipment or you're selling paper, the person across the room, you know, the man wants to feel powerful. He wants to feel like he can make the decision. The guy's right. Like it does not matter if you're selling HVAC, or if you're selling oil, if you're selling paper, like you got to look at the other person on the other side of the table and be like, okay, yes, like saving money is the most quick and direct way to like put out a value proposition. But what does that person actually care about? You know, when they're sitting there, what's going to make them take that extra next step and shift their mindset about I, everything sucks right now. How can I become better? So you should start your own, uh, office, uh, you know, philosophy, business lessons, <laughs> podcast. Uh, it's funny, man. My wife at Northwest, uh, she, her, her operations teacher, uh, they would watch like the first five minutes of an office episode and then like go through why it was like bad leadership or whatever, which you could say it's like, is that worth 30 grand a year you know, for an education? But I mean, there's some really good principles in that show, regardless of how you feel about the comedy. But yeah, no, I completely agree. There's uh, I've had a few ideas on along the lines of that too myself. So no, I'm glad you, I'm glad you went through that, especially at the beginning of this conversation. So now, you know, within the past year and a half, like we were texting earlier and you just said, it's just so much up and down emotion, so many different things that just go on in your head as a co-founder. And obviously you have, you have the experience from the mechanical company working with them. And that's where you initially met Ron. Uh, if you were to start over all over again, whether it's there or start your startup, even having a year and a half of experience doing what you're doing, what advice would you give yourself? Uh, hmm. That's a really good question. I think, I think the, I mean, one of the piece of advice I gave earlier, it's like, don't be afraid to blow stuff up if you know it's wrong. Cause a lot of times I would get a little bit like, I, I, you know, spent, I literally spent, th I spent two all nighters working on this document that we needed and it was in the wrong, once I realized it was in the wrong direction, I should have just scrapped it and let go. Um, 
so yeah, being able to let go, I think would, is how I would give my perspective. And also it's like, Hey, like it's going to be okay. Like you just keep working hard and things work out, uh, or they don't either way. It's fine. Uh, and if you hold on really tight to stuff, like it's less and less chance that you're going to actually succeed. You just, you got to be able to work hard, but also be able to, uh, just trust the process and trust that working hard pays off in some way or form or fashion. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, normally after this question, I, I usually follow it up with, you know, would that be the same advice you give to somebody who's jobless or like looking for a marketing position? But like, I wanted to kind of go a little bit off of that and just ask like, what was, what was your thought process and all, all that, you know, to starting your startup? Like, why did you decide to go the, that route other than seeing the opportunity, seeing that, you know, you, you mentioned how, you know, there was other companies that you were looking at before you landed at Vital. What was the, what was that decision process or like, you know, rationalizing everything to go that route ultimately? Yeah, I think, um, I believed in the vision of, of what we were doing and uh, I believed in the people that were being going to be a part of it. So main reason I joined that mechanical company was because Ron was there and, uh, really inspired me. I was like, wow, like this guy, uh, has a, has a really big vision and he's, uh, he and I are on the same wavelength about what's important in life and what's important in, in business and where the industry's headed. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, I mean, there, obviously I saw a huge opportunity. So I was like, oh, that'd be cool. I think, you know, I, I think I would be regret not having tried to do some sort of startup thing before I died. So this is my one shot at it. Right. <laughs> not sure if I'll ever do it again, but, uh, or at least this way, this is like, we bootstrapped the whole thing. So no funding. That's another part of it. We don't have any funding. We're all self-funded. Um, so we've been self-funding for a year and a half, you know, and so that's, that's always rough. Um, but yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, it, it's, it's really the, and the attractiveness of like, Hey, this is like going to be my thing that we get to carve out and do, you know, I get to own it from start to finish hopefully. And, um, and that's, I think as a naturally creative person, you know, that's, it's always nice to be able to feel like I left a mark on something and had, had the ability and the, the, um, had the opportunity to make some change and, you know, leave my mark. So. Well said. So now I'm going to transition into the last part of this conversation, which is just the rapid fire questions. Um, the first question I have for you is what is your favorite marketing tool or software that you're using? I know you, you said you're taking a lot more traditional route, but just if, if there's any marketing tools or software that you're using right now, what is it? Uh, so persist IQ, which is like it, you can use it for marketing for like drip campaigns and stuff. Uh, it's a, it, it's just amazing. It's the best. You should de definitely check it out. Um, it's email automation and task automation and phone call automation. Uh, it's very simple, really easy to set up, hooks into all sorts of CRMs and stuff. I've been using that for about six years now. So I used it at Vital and I use it here now. So they do really good there. I, I basically have a direct email to the, the owner of the company. So we were able to get changes pushed and yeah, awesome company, awesome product. Awesome. So now what is your, uh, if you've taken any online courses outside of just like university, what, what, what are some of your favorite courses or, um, classes that you've taken online just to learn more about marketing or business? Yeah. So I, I haven't really taken many online. I, I did went through HubSpots. Uh, they had like an inbound marketing course that I did like a long time ago and that was pretty good. Uh, right now I'm actually, um, my wife got into the Stanford like code in place program, which was free. It was like a free learn how to do Python. Uh, so I've been doing that over her shoulder. So I'll, I'll, I'll copy her assignments on my computer. She's doing it and stuff. I really like it, man. I really like that stuff. And the way like coders think and programmers think uh, is like, it's really 
beneficial to how you would do marketing or sales, like in how they do decomposition of a problem and everything. So yeah, that's code in place is <laughs> my favorite one right now. Awesome. So now what is your favorite business or marketing book? I know you mentioned extreme ownership. I don't know if that's like your number one, but is there, is there a favorite book? So I can, it kind of shifts cause I, I try, I try to keep up with reading. Um, Right now, I'm reading a book called Conscious Capitalism, and it's by, what's that guy's name? He's the owner of Whole Foods. It's Whole Foods owner. Let me look him. Uh, John Mackey. So yeah, Conscious Capitalism by John Mackey. And uh, I really like the book because it's, you know, a lot of people think of like capitalism as very like harsh and like, like that's why people are poor and that's why people are starving in Africa and all that stuff. But it's like, no, no, no. Like capitalism like is what has lifted you know, is, is the reason why the global poverty rate has literally been cut in, you know, in thirds in the past 10 years, which is amazing. Uh, but it's also, it's like, okay, conscious capitalism isn't just like profits above all else either. You know, that's not how business should think about stuff. Um, so yeah, I really like that because it's, it, the reason I like it as a marketing book is because it gives me insight into how people think and how I should be thinking about like overall philosophy in the world. So yeah, conscious capitalism by John Mackey. There you go. And last question in this rapid fire question is, do you have a favorite marketer or someone you uh, admire from afar or someone you know directly? Yes. Yeah, so someone I admire from afar, kind of a weird one and off the beaten path. No, I don't think anyone in your audience will know him, but his name's Tom Woods. Uh, he's like a kind of, kind of um, like political historian, podcaster guy. Uh, really, really smart, but he's, he's a really good marketer. So he builds like, I was homeschooled. Uh, so he builds all these like homeschool classes and all this stuff that are kind of alongside his uh, podcasting. And uh, he's really, he's like king of like good domain names. So he'll build stuff like, you know, four paths to income.com and stuff like that. So he's, he's got some really cool ways of, of doing marketing. That's really like, like at its face value easy, but it's like, Oh, that's brilliant. Like good job buying that domain name. Like I know where to go now when I want to do this. So. Awesome. So if, if people are interested in finding out more about what you're doing with Tulu systems or just connecting with you online, what, what platforms or what websites would you recommend them visit? Uh, Tulu systems.com. Uh, we're just, that's our website, which is great. Uh, and then Tulu systems is our tag on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, and all that stuff. Um, and yeah, and then my email is just Brit B R I T T at Tulu systems.com. So you just email me there. Or, yeah. Love to talk. Or if you play music, you know, Brit at becomingbristol.com. That, that works too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Before I close this out, that's actually one thing I wanted to mention. I've, I've heard, I've been listening a lot more tech podcasts, different people, whether they're like more of a technical background, like, you know, software developing or just business in general. There's, there's a lot of people, well, not a lot, a lot at least maybe I've been picking up on it because I'm a musician, but there's a lot of different uh, musicians who are software developers, but then also are in business and all like for me, someone like on a bigger scale that everybody can refer to is like a Kevin O'Leary. He, the, the dude plays guitar. Like he actually knows how to play it, which is great, but it's been really cool just seeing different people like who do have a, a music background now in business or in tech or different aspects of business in general. So. Yeah, it's pretty, it's, it, all things are connected, man. Like music, the way it's sequenced and the way the patterns work is the same way that a brain thinks about designing a marketing campaign or looking at a lead funnel. So yeah, that's why there's so much cross, cross integration. <laughs> there you have it. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on this call and sharing your knowledge and experience and also just more insight of what you're doing on a daily basis, uh, being a CRO as well as like, you know, the experience you've had with adapting to, 
the growing demand within your industry. So thanks for thanks again for hopping on this call, Britt. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show to receive more content like today's episode.